chapter 13. As we've been traveling through chapter 13 the last three Sundays, I want to re re uh, review a little bit. One of the things that we get caught up with when we're talking about end time stuff is we get too focused on the minutiae. The little bitty details, the when's these going to happen and what's it going to look like and all these things instead of focusing on what Jesus wants us to focus on. So he made it clear the gospel is prim, primo, it's primary, it's what he wants us to focus on while we're here. Not what signs are necessarily out there. He wants us to focus on the gospel. And the second thing he made clear in this chapter, that he's coming back for his chosen ones. He's coming back for us, those who have trusted his son by faith. So he's focused on the gospel. He's focused on the chosen. And this week we're going to finish up his Olivet Discourse on the end times with an emphasis on the already promised but not yet realized. Because that's the way the Christian life really is. By the grace of God, we get saved. We get born again. Our sins get forgiven they're forgiven. It's a past tense kind of thing. We are already forgiven, but we're not yet completely there. We still have sin in our life. We still struggle with things. We still have things we need to learn, which is why we come to church and listen to sermons and read our Bibles, etc., etc. And it's all because of grace. Grace grants us the freedom and the, and the, and the joy of continuing to learn and proceed to the promise that he's promised us the the promise he's given us so here we're going to pick up starting with verse uh, 28 remember it is passion week G this is wednesday afternoon evening probably about sunset or so jesus and his disciples are sitting on the mount of olives which is across the kidron valley from the eastern gate of the city of jerusalem and the eastern gate of the temple they're sitting there and they he's been instructing them and he's been talking about the end times. Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21 are the parallel passages for this. And it's pretty much a, a lot of the same stuff. If you really want to know more or see a little bit more perspective on it, read those sometimes. But Jesus is closing out this, this discourse with the already but not yet theme kind of running through it. And I hope to explain that to you this morning. Let me read the passage. Starting with verse 28. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be 
alert. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this instruction. And I thank you for the command of being alert. And forgive us, Father, if we haven't. Help us to see this morning how we can be more alert and how we can redeem the time for your kingdom is coming someday. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as believers, like I said, we live uh, knowing that we've already got our access to heaven. It's already there. We're already guaranteed that. And when we die or Jesus returns, we're going there. We're saved, we're forgiven, we're not sinless. Our heaven is secure, but we're not there yet. And Jesus wants us to remember that. We've not yet received the full experience of our salvation. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we go through today. We've not yet received it. This life we live now has a future impact. Jesus speaks of the future events with assurance for his disciples. His disciples need this assurance. He wants to give it to them. And we are his disciples. And he's giving us this assurance as as to how we're supposed to live. So the, the idea this morning is that Jesus instructs all believers that his return will happen and to live now like it is imminent, like it could happen in the next 30 minutes while we're in here. It could. You never know. We need to remember that it is almost here and live that way. So how should we live for the future? What is our response to the events that Jesus has described in the previous 27 verses? Well, Jesus gives two mindsets this morning, two mindsets that we can use while we wait for our eternal future. First of all, bank on his words. And second of all, keep careful watch. Not real hard. First point, trust Jesus' words, verses 28 through 31. I want to reread the passage. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That was our memory verse for last month. Hopefully you've remembered it. But I want to start there. I want to start at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And the reason is because that's, that's, the, that's the summation of what Jesus has just said in the other verses ahead of it. The words, Jesus says, notice it uses the plural words, not like the word the Bible, but the words he has spoken. They're here forever. He is also pointing back to Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God stands forever. But he's pointing back to that. What happens to the earth will not impact the words he has spoken. It will not deter what he is telling you have. No matter if global warming happens or whatever happens. If a meteor hits the planet, it doesn't matter. Jesus' words will never pass away. And Jesus gives them and us, the, the disciples and us, a blessed assurance here, really. A blessed assurance of what the future will hold for those who believe. He's including us. I think Jesus is looking in, down history's alleyway right to our hearts. I think he's looking right at us when he says these things. And so what are these words? Well, these words are verses 5 through 23 in this chapter. All the things that he's talked about is going to happen. 
All the things that he's shown that there's going to be these kind of events going on. That's what he's talking about. All these words of Jesus with this in mind, that we are already forgiven but not yet glorified. We must keep that in mind when we read these kind of things because so many things look like the end is coming. Look like, and that's what Jesus warned him, looks like something is about to change in a drastic way. But I think, I think also, and I believe this, Jesus wants us to look at his return, the parousia, they call it, his return to earth. He wants us to look at it as just part of the whole event, okay? The whole thing that went on. The birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the parousia, the return of Christ. Those are eight steps, basically, eight events. And the last one just hasn't happened yet. So he wants us to look at it as a complete package. It's not just you know, birth through ascension. It's birth through return. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the ascension, the resurrection of the ascension and the parousia, the return. We need to think like that because that's what I think Jesus is trying to get at. And that helps us remember that the, the return could be any minute. And that's one of the things Jesus is trying to, to get. It's one big divine event. But the last one, the one that we're waiting for now, is separated by centuries, millennia. It could be even more. We don't know. But why is it separated? Why is it taking so long? I mean, birth through ascension happened in 30 years, 33 years. Why? Well, because we have a merciful God. We have a very, very, very merciful God. From incarnation to the return, God has, has timed it so that the faith of the elect, the faith and repentance opportunity for the chosen has a chance to happen. He's giving humanity time. Because once he pulls the trigger, once he sends his son back, it's over. There's no more salvation. No one has another chance. It's everlasting too late. And ever since the incarnation of Jesus, we have all, really, we've all been living in the last days. Ever since he came as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, it is eminently about to happen. We are living in the last days. But it's an already not yet kind of scenario that we're living in. So what are these words exactly talking about? Well, let's go back to verse 28. Because Jesus tells us a little parable, the fig tree parable. It tells us how to use, look at the future. Did you realize that the fig tree is the only tree in Palestine that sheds its leaves? Every other tree in Palestine keeps its leaves all year long at least in this time frame. The fig tree is the only one that sheds leaves, so it's the only one that sprouts leaves, which is why Jesus chose it. So when the leaves sprout and, get, and, the, and, the, and the, the shoots get tender, summer is near. So then Jesus interprets it in verse 29, okay? He says in the same way, the fig tree is the earth, planet earth. Could be the people, you could even look at it that way, but the fig tree is the earth, the leaves are the signs, as they come out. And summer is the end. Summer is the return of Christ. In verses 5 through 23 of this chapter, they're key in understanding who and what Jesus means here. Okay? Because he's not talking about just one thing here. He's talking words. He's talking events. The things he's described. So I want to break down the words that, that Jesus uses in verse 29. First of all, he uses the word you. Y-O-U. Now, unfortunately, in English, 
We don't have a plural form of that. The same word can be used for both plural and singular. Unless, of course, you're from where I grew up. Y'all works really good. Then you know I'm saying you plural, right? Y'all. My, my Greek professor would do that on, on teaching. He would write when it was a plural you, a plural pronoun, he would say y'all. And, of course, he's from Louisville, Kentucky, so that made it easy for him. But the fact is, is this is plural. This is about people. This is about groups. It's plural. So this, these things in verses 5 through 23 are going to happen to the disciples that are right there right now and the ones that are going to come later, the 3,000 that get saved at Pentecost, the 5,000 that get saved later, and on and on and on, and all the way to us. We're part of the you, the y'all there. They will see certain things happen. They will see tribulations. They will see persecutions. They will see false messiahs come. They will see the temple destroyed. But they won't see the, the final event, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Because now we're talking about these things. Jesus says, when you see these things, well, you've got to go back to verses 5 through 23. It's going to point to what they saw, what they will see, what they will see later, what the next generation will see, what we will see on and on throughout time. These things are the things they will see. The destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Abominations. We have them all over the place in our culture. Persecution. Persecution started with Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr for Christ. James was the first apostle killed for Christ. False messiahs have come. You and I talked about this last week. We've seen them. We've seen people who claim to be the Messiah, and they are not. Since the ascension, many types of these things have happened. Many types of these things have happened. But the abomination that causes desolation and the persecution or tribulation worse than anything that will happen in mankind in time and ever will happen again, they haven't happened yet. Those haven't happened. Those are the two major markers that Jesus talked about. They won't happen. But when they do, he says he will come or he will be near. But that is another pronoun trouble they have in the Greek. It could be he or it could be it. Because they did not put in the original manuscripts, they didn't put any kind of designator, noun or other descriptor to tell you if it's a person or if it's an inanimate object or an event. And I'll explain this a little bit. But it's a third-person singular pronoun. It doesn't have a, 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 a he or a she or it tied to it. So if it is he, if you want to interpret it as he, then it would be the Son of Man. It would be Jesus. If he, he will be near. He will be at the door. He will be about to come when these two major events happen, the, the abomination that causes desolation and the greatest, worst tribulation of all time. But the thing we need to remember from this is every day he's a little bit closer. Every day, we're one day closer to his return. Now, if you want to interpret as an inanimate thing, uh, it, then it's got to be the final two events. It's got to be those, those events, or it's got to be maybe the cosmic disturbances I talked about that are going to go on in space when Jesus steps back into space and time. Maybe it's that. I believe Jesus left it ambiguous for us, and, and here's the reason why. He did not want us chasing after signs. He wanted us pursuing souls. We would be looking around for all kinds of signs and get fooled, okay? 
I mean, they've already seen the temple destroyed, or we'll see the temple destroyed. We've seen it destroyed. We've seen abominations. The believers have been persecuted, even to the point of death, some of them very severely. And it's going on even today. I mean, even as we stand here right now, there's people being murdered, killed, because they believe in Jesus Christ. There's been false saviors and false messiahs. Not yet, though, has the abomination that causes desolation or the worst tribulation happened. Jesus' point, the return is always near. Look at it as a long, one complete event from incarnation, from birth to parousia when he comes back. That is his point in verses 28 and 29, is that these things will happen. A lot of things will happen. They'll look alike. But we need to always keep in mind that we're, we're already saved, but we're not yet there and a lot of things could go on. And he makes another point here in verse 30. He says, this generation, this generation will not pass away. Well, what generation is he talking about? So there are plenty of different interpretations of generation out there. But I believe, and having looked at some of the guys I trust, this is a, a, a genuine generation. An approximately 40-year span of time in, in the Jewish culture. So it's not a race, or it's not an age, or it's not an epoch. You know, it's a generation. And it points to a literal 40-year time span, give or take. When the final, final events begin, I believe this is what it means. When the final events begin, it'll all happen in a 40-year generation. When the, the, the abomination that causes desolation and the worst tribulation known to mankind, and then the cosmic events start happening in the, in the sky and in space... Inside 40 years, it'll happen. I believe that's what Jesus is trying to give them a clue of. Because here's an example of what can happen in 40 years. 40 years from when Jesus is telling them this, the temple will be no more. It'll be a bare piece of rock. There will be nothing left of it. The rubble will be down in the Kidron Valley. They, they burn the stones till they crumble to ash. So the, the temple will be gone in 40 years from this. Believers will be persecuted. Matter of fact, Paul will be dead. Most of the apostles would be dead by this time. The only one that survived was John, who eventually wound up exiled on the island of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. Fake messiahs will come. I mean, you can look, read the book of Acts. You'll see a few people that are, got some special abilities and claim to be important. Well, think about how much has changed in 40 years of your life. 40 years ago, hmm, I graduated high school. Never heard of a cell phone. I know some of you are thinking, wow, you're a kid, but it feels old to me. I, there was no such thing as this. Your phone was attached to the wall with a cord. Yeah, it's, it, the, the, the changes that have happened in 40 years. So is it possible for these cosmic events, these major events to happen in 40 years? Absolutely, especially when God's in control. And Jesus insists that many things will pass, many things will come and go, but his words will last forever. And we can trust his words. We can trust his words. They will happen. So bank on them. We've all had guarantees. We've all had, I, I've, I've had lifetime warranties on I don't know how many different things in my house over the years. They never are a lifetime warranty. They never are. 
They've always got some caveat to them. They've always got some clause that you didn't see in the fine, 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 fine print down way down at the bottom. They've got something that you didn't, you didn't keep the receipt for 30 years. It lasted for 30 years. You didn't keep the receipt. No lifetime guarantee for you. That's, that happens in life, but that doesn't happen with Jesus. Jesus promises the end will come in a certain way at a certain time, and, but that is the beginning of the end, and it began at resurrection. When he stepped back into the Father's presence, the clock began ticking on the end of time. And we already know this by Jesus' words. We're, it's not yet completed as God waits for his timing. And this is amazing grace. When we sang that song, it's like, that's the amazing grace, is that God is waiting for the rest of the chosen to hear the gospel and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so they can come to heaven with us. The end will come, but we must not forget why we are here. That's part of trusting Jesus' words. We are here to speak the gospel to the souls of men. Peter writes this in his second letter, 2 Peter 3. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief suddenly. On that day, the heavens will pass away. With a loud voice, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. I hope it's clear what kind of person you should be. Jesus is making it clear we need to be about the gospel. So the question I have this morning for us in applying this part of the passage is, how much do we trust Jesus' words? How much do we trust what he's saying about the end of time? Oh, we like his words, especially the comforting ones. You know, come to me all ye are weary and, and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Something like that. We like those words, but what about these words about the end? You know, Jesus is just as serious about these as he is all the comforting ones. Do we live like we have an urgent message for the world? Not an urgent message to come to church, an urgent message to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to trust Jesus. I've often said that we don't witness to people because we don't love them like Jesus loves them. I'm guilty. I don't, I don't witness to people because I just don't love people the way Jesus does. And I need to work on that. And I need to pray through that. But I also believe that I don't speak the gospel because I don't really trust or believe Jesus' words about the end. That it could be any minute. That it could be imminent. I don't take to heart those words. All that Jesus has said in this chapter will happen. Some of it has happened in signs and foreshadowing, but it will happen. And it will all happen in ever-escalating ways. Why? Why am I not more burdened to share this message? Why am I not more burdened to share it? Listen, every day, according to the International Mission Board, every day, 157,690 people die without Jesus Christ, without ever hearing him. 157,690 people will die today never hearing about Jesus Christ. That's a lot of people. That's bigger than Effingham. It's bigger than a lot of towns. 4.5 billion people on the face of the earth 
today have never even heard about Jesus Christ, much less that he's coming back someday. Why are we not, why am I not more burdened with that message to share? If we trust Jesus' words and we believe his salvation for our souls, we should want to get it out. We should want to tell people the gospel. If you have already had your sins forgiven, your soul reborn, then because you are still here on the planet, God wants you to take the gospel to the lost. He wants you to love to tell the old, old story. He wants us to love to tell it. And here's how. Ask this of every person you meet, strangers, friends even. Ask this in your head, go, are they believers in Jesus Christ? If you don't know, ask them. Ask them. They will not get mad at you. They may say they don't want to talk about it, but they're not going to get mad at you. Most of the time, most surveys have said they're willing to listen to your story. They're willing to listen to the story about your faith, especially if you've got a relationship with them. Do you know who Jesus is? I mean, that's a simple question. And it's, a, a, it's, a, it's an applicable question. Because I meet people right out here in the town that do not know who Jesus Christ really is. He's just a teacher. He's just somebody that we come here on Sunday to worship. He's got something to do with the cross that's on top of all these church buildings around here. But I don't know who Jesus Christ is. You're going to get that answer. Boy, that's, that's just like kicking the door open. That, you, should be able to, you should be able to give a reason for the hope you have at that point. The hope you have in the future of your soul so that you can share it with them so they can have hope. See the lost. That's, I think some of us are walking around like this or maybe even like this. We just don't see them. See the lost. See the unforgiven. See the unenlightened people around you and tell them the old, old story. Trust Jesus' words. It will happen. Okay, I'm getting off of that soapbox for now. But in the end, we can trust his words with our soul. And then we must live with our eyes wide open, which I talked about already a little bit. See the lost. Point number two, keep a vigilant vigil. Keep a diligent, diligent vigil. Verses 32 through 37. Let me read that again for you. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch. Be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is returning or coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Be alert. Jesus isn't missing around here. He, those are commands. Those are imperative forms of the verb. So Jesus is coming back to the question in verse 4 that, that the four disciples ask him, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. When is this going to happen? I mean, this is the first question they ask, and he's coming back around to it now. And he makes it clear that his return trip, the date of his return is unknown to anybody except God. To angels, to him, only the Father knows. Now, some of you are wondering, well, that's, I thought Jesus was God. 
Well, let me explain a little something about Jesus' divinity on earth. This doesn't nullify it, and a lot of people will use this passage to talk about, well, Jesus was fully man, but he wasn't fully God while he was down here. He had stepped out of his godly nature, but he chose when to use his omniscience and when not to use it. He chose to limit his omniscience here, not to, not to distract us with a time on the calendar. He can do that. He can do that. He's not pretending to not know. He's choosing not to know. It's just like in John chapter 11. When Lazarus died, Jesus knew it before someone even told him. Lazarus has died, he told his disciples. But when he gets there, he goes, where you buried him? He didn't know where he was buried. Him. See, he chooses when he's going to be omniscient. I know Lazarus is dead. I just don't know where they buried him. He can do that because he's God. He can do that. And we let him do that because he's God. We can't argue with him. So he can do that. So he doesn't know. And why doesn't he know? Why doesn't he want to share that piece of information with us? Because <laughs> he knows what goes on in our hearts. Oh, he knows what we do with that kind of stuff. The calendar would become more important than the Bible. The calendar would become so much more important than the Bible. And Jesus uses this to pull out our faith. He wants us to trust his words. Faith will wait for the day with obedience and devotion. True faith in Jesus Christ will wait. We'll keep serving. We'll keep our eye on the prize. He's pulling out your faith. And this is why he says next in verse 33, be alert. You can't know when he will return, so be vigilant. You can't figure it out. You can't guess it. You can't decipher it. There's no slide rule. There's no computer that can calculate it. It's unknown. So faith in a date or an hour would be faith not in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ calls us to faith in his words. Remember, he is the word made flesh, and he dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Jesus should be our focus, not a calendar, not a date. So then in verse 34, Jesus gives a parable. He's, he's, taking it, he's going to give one more explanation to him. He gives a parable of what should we be doing or should we be focusing on while we're waiting. So in this parable, a man on a journey left his house, gave authority to his servants. The man is Jesus Christ, the house is the world, and his servants are believers. And Jesus gives authority by the Holy Spirit to believers, to us, because the Holy Spirit lives inside us. He gives authority by his Spirit to believers to do his bidding while he is gone, to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why. He gives us the authority. That's the purpose of it. Sometimes we just want to, like, oh, I got, I got the Holy Spirit so I can sit and read my Bible. I can feel comfortable and assured. You've got the Holy Spirit, too, so that you can carry the gospel to the world. He gives us tasks. He gives us duties. He gives us gifts to employ for the kingdom of God. It's not arbitrary. It's not, you know, well, you got this to do and that to do. He gives us things to do to advance the kingdom. Being alert, in verse 35, he goes on, being alert and watchful is not a passive task. I've stood watching some places. You don't just sit there on a chair and wait for something to happen. You're always looking. You're moving about. You're searching. And that's what Jesus is telling them. Keep your eye on the horizon. Look for the return of the king, but also the needs of the kingdom. 
things you can advance in the kingdom. To be vigilant for Christ's return is to be diligent in gospel ministry. To be vigilant for Christ's return is to be diligent in gospel ministry. Jesus can't make it any clearer. He could return at any moment. And he uses these four watches of the night. You know, what he says here in verse uh, 35. Evening is about 9 o'clock. Midnight, obviously. Crowing, they, roosters crow at 3 in the morning. Did you know that? Every rooster I've been around crows at 3 in the morning for some reason. Their body clocks are really messed up. And then early in the morning, which would be the 6 o'clock, this is what the Romans used as their watches of the night, their, their shift change, if you will, on the watchtowers. He uses that to make a point that he could return any time. He's not going to just return in the daylight. It could be at night. You never know. You never know. He commands all believers not to be sleeping. Our duties are clear. His coming will be sudden to the one not watching. It will be very sudden. Matter of fact, this word sudden here is only used like five times in the entire New Testament. The Greek word is. Jesus is being serious. If you're not watching, you will be caught off guard. And he finishes up the passage with one last time. As he said throughout the whole chapter, watch be alert. I say this to everybody, he says, not just to you 12 or you four right here in front of me, but to the others and to the ones beyond that who are going to read this. Be alert. Stay awake spiritually. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus will return. A great parable for this is the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. There were five foolish ones and five prudent ones, five smart ones, if you will. The foolish did not come prepared to stay very long. They didn't bring any extra oil for their lamp, waiting for the bridegroom to come. That parable is about the return of Jesus Christ. The foolish, they missed the groom's coming because they had their eyes on temporal things. They said, well, this won't be long, and that way I can go do something else. They got their eyes off of what they were there for. But the prudent, they were alert. They had oil for their lamps. They were, they were in it for the long haul. Their faith was staying to the end. They planned to be there until the groom returned. Are you planning to be busy when Jesus Christ returns? I hope so. I hope you're planning and working toward that. Because it could be any time. And here's why Jesus says be diligent and vigilant in our waiting. In Matthew chapter 24, the chapter right before the parable of the virgins, he says, therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find do, so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. There is reward in continuing to do this work for the kingdom of God. You'll get some blessings here, but there's much more on the other side. There's a reward for those who are working to the very end. Now, I want to return to the concept of the already promised but not yet realized theme. Already we know he will come, but he hasn't yet. And Jesus makes it clear he is coming back and we are to watch actively for him. Being alert and watchful is always an act of faith. Many people have lost 
their way in their Christian walk because they were not watching actively. If we trust the words that Jesus said and his promise, we act in faith on those words. And that's what keeps us, that's what keeps us actively being alert. I want you to hear me on this. Every day, the world and the adversary is going to try to keep you from watching. They're going to try to take your eyes off of eternity. Every day, they're going to try to dull your senses to the return of Jesus Christ. Remember this. The vision is the gospel. The mission is the souls to proclaim it to. And the target is the souls of humanity. The vision is the gospel. The mission is to proclaim it. And the target is the souls of humanity. We've already gone through 2,000 years of it already. Don't let that make you complacent. I've had some non-believers discuss with me about that. Well, you've been saying this for 2,000 years and he's still not come back, so I don't think I believe it. Well, obviously you don't believe it. But my Bible says so. And I believe it. How close is it now? I have no idea. The question I have is, are you ready? Are you ready for it? Know this, he hasn't come because the chosen hasn't been found. All of the chosen, the elect, have not heard the gospel yet. That's the reason he's not come back. Remember in verse 10 of chapter 13, he says, it's important that the gospel gets out because that's what God wants to happen. And we need to remember, we need to keep these two things in mind. There's only two things that last forever. The word of God and the souls of humanity. Only two last forever in this life. If we're not engaged in those two things, we're like the five foolish versions. We're just distracted and absent. God calls us to move our focus off of temporary treasure, off of temporary things, and look for the eternal investments. Where can I, where can I spend my time and my effort to make an impact for eternity? As I wrap this up, in a stanza from a poem by C.T. Studd, he captures what we all must remember. This is just one stanza out of this poem. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's keep our vigil for Christ diligently actively focused on his work. Amen? Jesus tells us to trust his words for the future. He does. He tells us to trust his words for the future and that we need to use that to keep alert. And that's how we should live in the already but not yet so that we can one day sing of his love forever. Now, I want to clarify something. Does the Lord ask us to neglect any of our duties in this life in expectation of his return? No. He doesn't ask us to be lazy or inattentive to the things that we're doing. He doesn't ask the farmer not to plant. He doesn't ask the builder not to build. He doesn't ask the business not to be profitable. That's not what God's asking. That's not what Jesus is saying. All he asks is that believers should live up to the faith into which they were called. Live as penitent people. Live as people who know that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Live like your life matters to God. 
Living like this makes us ready to meet our master, to be truly happy because it is to be truly prepared for anything that may come. Let us never be content with a lower standard of practical Christianity than this. The last words of Jesus' prophecy to us are very solemn and direct. Be alert. Be alert. God's grace grants us second chances to do better, to live out our faith, and to be alert. Let's take advantage of that grace and live like people who are looking for a king to return. So let's pray right now and let's ask God to forgive us of our dullness and awaken our souls until Christ returns. We're going to have a time of pastoral prayer. If you'd like to come to the front and pray, come on. Um, We're going to take a time of silent prayer and then I'll close us out. So let's pray.